think about my parents who are both home with the Lord. My dad sadly got to dementia and it had a great impact upon the last years of his life. And, you know, it's kind of funny because uh, there were a lot of humorous things that happened. I won't go into them, but, you know, his dad's mind began to slip and he didn't know anybody. But there were certain things you could get him conversing about that uh, he didn't forget. Uh, like the fact that he was saved and that he was uh, called to preach. And my mother would go after dad's uh, illness had uh, uh, gotten so bad that he had to be put in a facility to have daily care, and she would go every day. And uh, quite often she would take cassette uh, copies of him preaching and play it in the room. And the staff uh, that worked there, they got used to hearing my dad preach, and they were so respectful to him and so gracious to him. And and uh, boy, I tell you, one uh, time my mother had a young nurse there that said, you know, Miss Graham, when I get old, I want to have what you and your husband have. And mom said, honey, it'll never happen. Well, it kind of shocked her. And she said, what do you mean? She said, well, that man that you have, you told me y'all are just living together. If he won't commit to marry you now, he's not going to commit to hang around when your health goes. But said, what my husband and I have goes beyond just uh, the good times. And, uh, you know, and she began to witness that young lady. And, and uh, the young lady said that she was saved, but knew that she was out of the will of God. And her boyfriend was not saved. And she said, I know the guy that can help you. Go see my son, and he'll tell you what you need to do. Uh, and, you know, I had the privilege of leading her boyfriend to the Lord and seeing them do the right thing and become husband and wife. And, you know, you say, well, that was a little bit rude of your mother. Well, you know, you get past a certain age. You just say what you're thinking, amen? I went to one of my dad's brother's funeral after my dad had died, his brother Floyd, who had gotten saved under my dad's ministry. I was at his funeral, and my dad's aunt, which would be my great aunt Edna, was there, and she was 100 years of age. And at that moment in her life, she was on zero medication, no high blood pressure medicine, not anything. I mean, to be 100 and not have any health issues is pretty impressive. I sat down beside her and I said, Aunt Edna, I hadn't seen her in a long time. I said, I don't know if you know who I am. She said, honey, I don't know your first name, but I know who you are. You're Virgil made all over again. She said, except I never saw his face this full. <laughs> and I said, I just had a hundred-year-old lady call me fat. And so, uh, uh, you know, but... Uh, you know, when you get to be 100, I guess you just say what you're thinking. And so, anyway, I said, well, yes, ma'am, that, that's true. And, uh, by the way, she made it to 103 before the Lord called her home. And uh, that's, that's remarkable. It really is. But I'll tell you, uh, when you know the Lord, it makes all the difference, regardless of how many years of life you have. You know, we have the ideal that, you know, if I could live to a certain age. But, you know, I want my life to count for Jesus, whether I... Uh, you know, have uh, the privilege of living to be a hundred like Aunt Edna did and above, or the Lord calls me home before then. And uh, my brother Jeff, I was the only boy I mentioned Sunday, uh, had five sisters. And then when I was 16, mom and dad adopted my brother Jeff. And um, and I was grateful for that. I was Jeff's uh, parents' newspaper boy when he was an infant. And uh, I would go by and pick him up and put him in my newspaper bag and uh, ride him around the block. He was in diapers, and when I'd bring him back, his mother would say, you want him, you can have him. I'd say, oh, we'd like to have him. We have no other boys at our house. And she said, well, you'd, you'd bring him back. She said, he is a brat, and she began to talk about him, and 
I thought, well, how sad, you know. Well, it wasn't long. Uh, a few years later, Jeff was uh, basically abandoned and ended up at our house. It was supposed to be a temporary arrangement of two weeks, and that turned to two months. And finally, my parents, you know, were already about to become grandparents. And uh, Dad said, we got to do something with this boy. And so uh, the Lord laid it on their heart to adopt Jeff. And oh, what a blessing it was to have reinforcements. I thought a little late, but I was glad to have them. And the Lord, of course, brought Jeff to our home, and, and sadly, at the tender age of 16, Jeff had an accident at home. He was working on his car, and his car fell on him, and uh, of course, he died at the age of 16. God used his young life in an amazing way. A couple of things that happened when Jeff got saved, the night that he got saved, we were getting ready to have our first camp meeting. Jeff had been saving his money to buy a horse, and uh, he had $200 saved up towards buying a horse, and that uh, Sunday night before we had our very first camp meeting on Monday, we were raising some money for the food and the expenses of the meeting. And Jeff stood up and said, I've got $200 I'd like to give to the meeting. And uh, the next night we were getting ready to have service. A man pulled up with a truck and trailer asking for Jeff Graham. And I said, I can go get him. He's inside. And I got him and my dad and he came out. And, and the man said, son, I understand you gave $200 to this church that you had been saving for a horse. He said, yes, sir. He said, the least I could do is give you a horse. If you could love your God that much, I can give you a horse. And he gave him a two-year-old registered Appaloosa mare. My brother didn't even ask the guy if it was broke to ride. He just jumped on it and started riding that horse around the campground. My dad began to witness to the man, and, and through the conversation, the man told him, he said, I'm not saved, but my heart was so moved by the gift of your son and I'd heard about it at work today, and I just wanted to be a blessing and give him a horse. Well, Dad invited him to church. He said, I can't come tonight, but I'm coming back Friday night. And sure enough, Friday night, he came back, walked the aisle, trusted Christ as a Savior. I won't go into all the details, but within the result of that man getting saved, uh, after some time, a friend of his at work wanted to get saved. And, uh, and he said uh, he and his family wanted to get saved. My dad went with that uh, younger convert to their home, and he said, I got there, there were cars everywhere, and I thought, man, this isn't going to work out. You know, they got company, but they went in, and Dad said, sir, I understand you'd like to get saved. He said, we all would. He said, I've gathered all my family. This is my wife. These are my married children and their spouses, and uh, they had uh, some had teenage children and younger. He said, everybody wants to get saved. What do we need to do? And Dad said, wow, you talk about an opportunity, and he had the privilege of leading that entire family to Christ. And of course, they came, followed the Lord in baptism. And, and after my brother's death in 1981, our youth pastor, Brother John Worsham Jr., uh, dad had told those folks, if you'll get in church, we'll get a church started out of our church and, uh, you, know, you know, in your area. And man, they were out in the country and Brother John Worsham Jr. started the Good Shepherd Baptist Church out of our church. He's still pastoring the church there since 1982, he's been the pastor there. and God's blessed that little country church. And several of those that were led to the Lord by my dad have already gone home to be with the Lord. But it's been a faithful uh, church plant all of these years. And of course, now it's an indigenous church. But you know what I'm talking about. Just to see the fruit remaining after all those years. Because one young man said, you know, I, I'll give my money. I, I had been saving to buy a horse. And you know, God didn't shortchange him. Gave him a beautiful horse and... And uh, though I miss him, 
how God used him to bring revival to our church would be a, really a message for another day through his death and his uh, home going. God sent a great sweeping revival through our community that had such an impact and we're thankful for that. But I want to talk to you tonight, we mentioned a little bit last night the resource for missions and how that we uh, looked at the reason for missions, the command of the Savior, the condition of the sinner, the constraint of the saint, our responsibility as believers to get the gospel out. We, uh, dear friend, uh, owe everything to Him and it's our responsibility to be good stewards of the gospel, everything I own. I mentioned my tithe, my talents, my treasures, my time and my testimony all belong to God. And if I'm going to do the work, I need the power of God. I need the presence of faith. And we talked about how that faith then goes on to promise what we're going to uh, tell the Lord. Hey, Lord, if you'll allow me, this is what I'll do by faith. And so we talked a little bit about last night the grace of giving. We saw the example of the Savior. Now, I could never equal what He did for me. He who was rich became poor. Listen, He left the splendor of heaven, came to this earth, died on the cross, was buried and rose again. I will never do anything that would equal what Jesus did for me. Paul said, I'm debtor. No, I don't know about you, but I feel a great debt to the Lord Jesus Christ for all that He's done for me. I'm not... I'm not in debt to try to save myself, but because He saved me, I want others to get in on the good news of salvation. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Aren't you glad that it's all of grace that uh, has saved us? But we, we recognize that uh, we have the great example of the Savior, but uh, this is tangible to us, the example of the saints. There, uh, as Paul was telling the church at Corinth, to look at what others have done. And it wasn't always easy. You know, somebody said to my dad one day, Brother Graham, as soon as I get my first million, I'm going to give it to the church. And dad said, that's wonderful, but we'd be excited if you just tithe on what you're getting right now. Because the truth of the matter is, what I will give you know, down the road, dear friend, can just be a promise that I never fulfill. But if I'll get faithful to serving God, and giving to God and witnessing for God right now. God can honor that. And it's amazing what God can do if we'll allow Him to. So let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'll read a few verses there and then go over to chapter 9 in a moment. But verse 10, we left off last night at verse 9. And here and I give my advice, for this is expedient for you, who hath begun before, not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago, now, therefore, perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which ye have. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. For I mean not that other men be eased and ye be burdened, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want, and their abundance also may be a supply for your want, that there may be equality. And stop reading there for just a moment. Let me just uh, begin to talk a little more about the, this matter of our resource for missions. And, you know, sometimes people want to give and maybe have a desire to give. And, and Paul is telling us that God will place in your hand and God wants you to give 
out of that which you have. Now, He can give increase to what you have. Can you say amen right there? Certainly, God has blessed us in many ways. And, and, and you know, when I first started giving to the Lord as a boy, my first paper route I got when I was nine years old. And you say, why did you go to work so young? Well, they didn't have laws like they have now. And I had five sisters, and I didn't want to wear hand-me-downs. Now, I don't mind secondhand clothes, but I didn't want to wear theirs. So uh, I got me a job tossing papers. And my dad sat down with me and said, Son, now, every Saturday when you do your collecting, uh, this is the amount that belongs to the paper company. You've got to get it to them. Uh, take it to their office and uh, pay your uh, paper bill. And then uh, the leftover, that is your profit. That's what you make. Now, you need to understand that you are to tithe to the Lord. And uh, he explained to me what the tithe was. So I began immediately tithing off my first job at nine years of age. And can I tell you something? God uh, has never cheated me. He's never shortchanged me. He's never mistreated me. And matter of fact, I've been amazed how exciting it is, not just to tithe, but to learn to give above the tithe and recognize that you can't get ahead of God. You can't outgive the Lord. And so uh, as we think about it, God is an investor. Now, if you go down to the bank, or maybe you're involved in investments, you understand something about this. Uh, you're looking for a good return on your investment. Well, God is an investor. When I went to Benton to become pastor, the church had gone through a little bit of a challenging time. They'd been several months without a pastor, and so finances had fallen off, and there were six loans at the church, and, and uh, you know there was already two full-time staff members when I came there. And uh, the offerings had fallen off very seriously. And so I went to the bankers and I began to explain to them how we were going to get our debts caught up and paid and how we were going to get out of debt. And I gave them a little Bible lesson and sat down, gave them some scripture about investment. And, and I explained to them that God, just like them, was an investor and he was looking for a good return on his investment. And so I, I told them that God invests in churches that go after lost sinners. And I wanted them to know our church is going to try to reach the lost in the community we're living in. Both of the presidents of the two banks in particular I was working with professed to be born-again Christians. And so I reminded them how that we have an obligation to get the gospel uh, to the lost in our community. And I said, here's what I'll do every week. I'll give you a report of who got saved, who got baptized at our church and the families that the Lord adds to our church. Then secondly, we're going to take on more missionaries. Uh, one mistake that was made in the transition between the pastor stepping down and me becoming pastor is they had cut just about all of their mission program. And that's like cutting your throat. And that's like saying, God, curse our finances. So I began to instruct them, no, no, we don't need to drop missions. We need to increase our missions. And, I, and you know, looking at a banker saying, no, we're going to start giving more money away. They're thinking, nah, how's that going to work? And I explained missions to them and how that we were going to reach the region's beyond through missions, and then we were going to take care of God's men. We we're going to take care of, as, as we have guest preachers, I explained to them how that we want to honor the men of God and God would honor us, and I gave them that little formula. The president of one of the banks, after I left, she said to the officers, and you got to understand, I was 30 years of age. She said to the officers after I left that meeting, wasn't that cute? She said, I don't doubt his sincerity, but he won't last six months said, uh, and this is what I told him, I didn't make the debt, but I'm obligated as the spiritual leader of this church that we're going to get out of debt. And man, they were like, you know, God bless you, son, that's sweet. 
And, uh, but when she resigned from the bank, she called me. Her husband had died, and after a couple years, she remarried, and she said, Pastor Graham, my new husband and I, we're going to spend some time traveling and seeing some different places. And she said, I'm telling you who our new president is. And she said, I just want to tell you that when you came here and you gave us your little formula, and she said, I wrote it down. And she said, I thought, man, this guy, he really is, uh, he doesn't know what he's up against. But she said, Brother Graham, I watched. God honor that little formula in your church. And she said, I just called to thank you. I told them you wouldn't last six months, and now several years have gone by, and you're still there. And she said, I'm so grateful that you didn't give up. And God allowed our bank to see His blessing on your church. And I could tell you other stories, but I don't want to dwell on that. Simply to say this, God is an investor. And you know, faith promise is effective in the work of God. I said that Sunday morning it works for the servant, that is the missionary, how that God meets his needs as we give to missions. It works for the sending agency, the local church, but it works for the sinner as we reach a lost and dying world. Our missionaries go to the foreign field on our behalf and we uh, dear friend, support missions and every missionary we support, we recognize they don't go just on our support alone, but other churches of lack, faith, and order get behind those missionaries and support them. And then they go to the field and they fulfill the great commission of not only reaching the lost, but planning New Testament churches to fulfill the great commission just to see it happen over and over and over again. Let me say this, some fields there may be uh, perhaps a greater harvest in the beginning than there is in others. And sometimes we recognize maybe there needs to be a little more patience in some areas where they deal with a lot of difficulties, a lot of challenges, a lot of, of trials. We've supported people that were in countries where even though they were doing mission work, they had to kind of do it, uh, you know, uh, kind of under uh, maybe a little bit of care or caution for fear of their life because of the legalities that they would deal with. And, and I said all that to say this, uh, let's, not, let's not be caught up just comparing every missionary exactly the same. And if one missionary has a greater harvest than another, no, let's don't get the attitude, well, let's quit supporting him. Because it may be that he's in a field where he doesn't have the liberty that some others have, that he doesn't have the, maybe the, uh, the, the opportunities that some others have. And I would say this, there are places that I go and preach in the foreign field where, man, it's wide open. And I mean, you can preach and you can gather crowds and, and uh, it's no problem at all. I've been blessed to be in the Philippines many, many times and really I can consider that my second home. I love going to the Philippines. I love the people there. And I've preached in many, many churches there. And you know, there have been times when we'd go out on a Saturday. I can remember taking a couple of my boys and they'd take a guitar and they'd start singing and a crowd would gather and I'd preach to them. Man, it was no trouble at all to gather people to hear the word of God and then invite them to come to church the next day. Many of them would come to the house of God as visitors. You can't do that everywhere. There are some countries where your approach has to be a little bit different, maybe a little more cautious. And, and I'm not, listen, I'm all for being bold for Jesus' sake, but also know that there may be challenges in countries that, that missionaries face that we know nothing about. It's easy if we're armchair, you know, quarter Christians <laughs> telling the missionaries, man, you ought to be doing more for Christ. We may, uh, dear friend, find that their job isn't always as easy as we think. But we know this. 
that it works and God can take and work in the hearts of sinners and every man, every woman, every boy and every girl that gets saved by the grace of God through your involvement and your investment as a church supporting them, I believe with all my heart, that's fruit that remains to your account. And Boy, that sure is exciting to think about. Let me say tonight, faith promise needs to be explained. We talked about how it requires faith and then it requires promise, which is our commitment. Let me say, first of all tonight, it indicates our personal love for Christ. Look at 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 24. 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 24 said this, Wherefore show ye to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. Paul said the first thing that happens when we're involved in mission giving, it indicates our personal love for Christ. You know, if I love the Lord, it ought to follow that I would love to see others get saved. I'm not going to take time to turn there tonight, but if you go to 3 John, you'll find there was a man in the church there by the name of Diophtrasis who desired to have the preeminence. And one of his great sins that John brought out about him is that he did not want to have those missionaries, those itinerant preachers that were coming through at the church. In fact, is he did everything to withstand it. I think 3 John has a lot to do with missions. And I believe with all my heart as he was resisting those men who were doing the work of God and they would come by maybe to give a report, come by maybe to get refreshed, come by maybe to receive an offering uh, to continue the work of God. He was against that. And can I tell you, let's not be that kind of a Christian. I know we're here on a Tuesday night. You're here because you love the Lord. I don't doubt you're here because you believe in missions. But can I tell you something, dear friend? We don't want to be in opposition. Uh, I remember when dad was pastoring there at Tremont and in the early years, you know, every once in a while things would get a little tight and and, uh, dad would say, you know, we just need to take on another missionary. And I remember one time our treasurer, who was a dear man who loved the Lord, but he said to the preacher one day, he said, I'm never going to tell you that we have a need again because every time I tell you, your suggestion is take on another missionary. And he said, man, we gotta, we got to see God bless the finances. And Dad said, that's why we're taking on more missionaries because God will bless the finance. But it indicates our personal love for Christ. You know, when I think about how that Jesus loved me, and I look at people, and, and let's be honest, folks, sometimes we see people with uh, a lot of needs in their life a lot of burdens in their life, a lot of baggage in their life. I would remind you, first of all, but for the grace of God, there go I. We don't need to become so uh, perhaps uh, involved as Christians to the point of our desire to live for God that we forget that there are others out there that are in desperate need of salvation. How can we reach a world we've never touched? Somebody said, well, Brother Graham, I don't know that person... They look like they're beyond hope. My mother was out soul winning one night with the, one of the ladies in our church. After mother had her cancer surgery, it was always difficult for her, you know, to talk to people. But she would do the best she could, and she would train workers to win people to Christ. And she went to one home, and the lady said that she was saved. They had visited our church, and mom invited her to come back. And all of a sudden, a young man in the other room spoke up, and he said, I've never been saved. And mom said, you haven't. Would you like to be? He said, I really would. And she said, well, we'd like to share the gospel with you. Had her soul and her partner talk to him. And I'm not, please don't take offense to what I'm saying. He was from New York City. And he looked like someone who had come off the streets of New York City. 
He had metal everywhere. I mean, please, you know, when you're in Benton, Arkansas, and somebody walks in the doors of your church, and they've got metal, I mean, everywhere you can think of putting metal, eyebrows, nose, ears, lips, I mean, everywhere. He was all uh, pierced everywhere. And I'm not, I'm not slinging mud. I'm just saying, you know, sometimes you take a second look. Wow, that had to hurt. But anyway, and uh, so... He gave his heart to Christ that night, walked the aisle on Sunday, made public his profession of faith. You know, the next week he came back to follow the Lord in believer's baptism without anybody saying a word to him. All the metal was gone. I think he just looked around and said, huh, I may be the only guy in here with this much piercing, so I'm taking it out. Listen, that didn't, you don't go to heaven because you take piercings off your face. But God was working in his heart. And he started coming. He sat with our college and career students over here. And he began to watch them. That was his age group. And he began to watch them. And so, man, you know, our Bible college students, they had to wear a tie to church. And, and so he started wearing a tie to church. And, man, he's, he's just watching their lives and trying to learn. And, man, pretty soon he comes to me and he says, Brother Graham, I was wondering if I could join the choir. And, man, he had been faithful by now. I said, absolutely. Somebody said, could he sing? Who cares? I'm not the choir director. Amen. Sorry. Sorry, Brother Choir Director. Anyway. He joined the choir, and then one day he asked if he could sing a special. We let him sing a special in church on Wednesday night. He said, i got some college students singing with me. And he sang, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. Sang the first verse by himself. And I'm telling you, the power of God and the touch of God was on his life as he sang that song. I looked out, my mom and her soul-winning partner just weeping because they had had the privilege of leading him to Christ. I'm just simply saying, dear friend, uh, the gospel message works, and uh, it it shows our love when we tell other people about Him and when we give to allow the gospel to go out. But let me say, it influences others to give. In chapter 9 and verse 1, For as touching the ministry to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you, for I know the forwardness of your mind, for which I boast of you to them of Macedonia, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal hath provoked very many." Now, we don't stand up necessarily and announce how much we give personally to missions, but you know a church gets a reputation or a testimony as a mission-giving church. And let me tell you something, dear friend, it influences other churches to want to be like that. I don't know about you, but I think it's remarkable the testimony your church has for missions. I'm thinking about not only the wonderful place that Miss Graham and I have been able to stay. I told your pastor, it is the nicest Mission House, it's the nicest, you know, if you call it prophet's chamber, whatever you call it, it's the nicest we've ever stayed in. I mean, bar none, it is fantastic. You say, well, don't you think that's a little extreme? I just think it's wonderful. It's a great testimony to your church. But I know this, that, uh, that many, many people have talked about how that your church is known to have a heart for missions. And, you know, that ought to be the desire and longing of our heart. And it would influence not only other individuals, but also other churches to want to be that kind of a church, to be a giving church, to be involved in faith promise mission. But not only that, it implements the plan for your annual mission support. In 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 3, he said, Yet I've sent the brethren lest our boasting of you be in vain in this behalf, that, as I said, ye may be ready, lest happily if they of Macedonia come with me and find you unprepared, uh, we, that we say not ye, should be ashamed in this confident boasting. Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before unto you and make up before, uh, beforehand your bounty, that is, your offering, uh, whereof ye have noticed before, 
that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not, of, not as of covetousness. So it really implements the plan. So as a church, as we pray about who do we support, who do we add, how can we do more for missions, Faith Promise Missions gives us the opportunity as we take up our cards and our commitments uh, uh, you know, down the road when you have that uh, service. The International Supper is going on that day, isn't it? Man, that's exciting. I just got sidetracked. Anyway, I'm just kidding. You're going to have a great time Sunday. And I, I'd be jealous. The only thing that saved me is the fact that this Sunday I'm going to preach a homecoming down in Alabama and I know they're going to have a meal. But anyway, it won't be as good as yours, but it'll be good. Involves uh, our responsibility of, of just knowing what the church can do. You know, just to say we're going to add missions or missionaries and have no idea what we have access to be able to do makes it very difficult. But when we give ahead of time, commit ahead of time, know that over the year this is what's going to come in, we can build the budget of being able to do for missions what we need to do. Let me say this, it involves everyone by participating. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6, he said, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. You know everybody can be in on mission giving. When I was the youth pastor at our church there in Tremont, I encouraged and challenged our young people to make commitments to faith promise missions, and many of them are now adults. We've talked about one mutual friend, Ivan Lambridge, and Ivan sent me a note one day several years ago, and he said, you know, I still remember the challenges in Sunday school about not only tithing to the Lord, but giving to missions. And he said, Brother Graham, thank you uh, for encouraging me to do that as a young man. And, and he said, I just want you to know I'm still giving to missions. I thank God for that. Listen, I, I don't know about you, but I want to be in on what God has laid out for the church that would be a blessing and, and as I said it's uh, everybody getting involved we had a lady in our church for years and I was blessed to be her pastor she was uh, and I mean this in a kind way somewhat educably slow she lived way out in the country her husband would bring her to church but he would never pick her up so somebody had to take her home and it was a good distance from our uh, church to her house and uh, she wanted to be involved in giving, and boy, it was so hard. Sometimes her giving meant just bringing a few cans of food because he didn't give her any funds to give. But boy, she wanted, she had a heart to give, and she loved the Lord. And when her husband passed away, uh, our church secretary would soon become her uh, power of attorney. But before that happened, she came in the office one day, and she said, uh, I, I want to give my tithe. And uh, she said, I want to give to missions. And so she sat down with the secretary and said, you know, finally, uh, I can give and have some actual money to give. And then she said, I want to give a gift to Pastor and Mrs. Graham. They've been so good to me over the years. We want to be a blessing to them. And she said, I'd like to give this money to them. And man, it was a big gift. And, uh, and you know, and I'm, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. She gave us a $100 bill, and that was a large gift. And uh, then she said to the secretary, tell pastor I want him to take Mrs. Graham out for a really nice dinner. And then I want him to get a new set of truck, uh, tires for his truck. And then she began to list some other things that she had no idea that, you know, if I did everything she asked me to do, I'd have to add a whole lot to what she gave. But her heart was in the right place because she wanted to be a part of God's work. And I don't know about you. I want to be in on it. Man, if something good's happening for the cause of Christ, it involves everybody. Let me say this, it, in, it, in, it incites praise to God. 
Verse 10 said this in chapter 9, Now he that ministers seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food, and multiply your seed sown, and increaseth the fruits of your righteousness, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. For the administration of this service not only supplieth the one of the saints, but is abundant always by many thanksgivings unto God. Whilst by the experiment of this ministration they glorify God for your professed subject unto the gospel of Christ, and for your liberal distribution unto them and unto all men, and by their prayer for you which long after you for the exceeding grace of God in you, thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. So it really incites praise to God. Let me, let me wrap it up by saying this. When we're involved in mission and mission giving, a few things that happen. Number one, reaping. He said in verse 10, in essence, there's fruit that's going to remain to your account. Every time a soul gets saved, it's easy to go by or see the letters from our missionaries and kind of take it for granted. But you know, every soul that's saved, if you're a giver in the mission program of your church, you've got fruit that remains to your account. And that's pretty exciting to me. But not only is there a reaping, there's a rejoicing. He said, man, in verse number 11, he said, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth, us, causeth through us thanksgiving to God. You know, I believe that the happiest believers are those that are involved in God's economy. I really do. I think if you get involved in missions, you'll find it'll be such a blessing to your life. You'll feel a connection with every missionary that your church uh, is involved in. You say, there's a lot of missionaries, Brother Graham, but isn't it exciting to know you're a part of something that is literally going around the world for Jesus Christ? But then not only rejoicing, the realization somebody gave sacrificially to get the gospel to you and to me. It would be good for us once in a while to think of our own personal testimony and who brought the gospel to us. You say, well, I grew up in church. Well, what about your Sunday school teachers? What about those that invested in your life personally? I owe a debt, dear friend, to those that invested in my life. You know, yes, I was raised in a preacher's home. Yes, I was blessed to be raised in church. But can I tell you, my dad, when he was a young man, got saved, got away from the Lord. Thank God for a co-worker of his who during their break was reading his devotions one day and a couple men came by and slapped the New Testament out of his hand and my dad at that time, of course, not right with God, grabbed those two men and banged their heads together and said, leave him alone. And... Uh, when he did, the man said, are you a Christian? Dad said, no, sir. But he said, my mom and dad, or I respect anybody that is. I got saved when I was a boy, but uh, I've been told that I can't go to heaven because I was in World War II. And as a, a soldier, of course, involved in the war, a uh, preacher told him he could never go to heaven. My dad was very confused. And that guy, as they're walking back into work, he said, you got a Bible at home? He said, yes. He said, go home and read Isaiah. He pointed him to the verse in Isaiah that said, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet. He said, Go home and read that verse. And he said, My pastor and I will come by to see you. And the preacher and that man came by and began to talk to my dad. And before long, dad not only came to church, but got the full assurance of his salvation, went into the ministry. Listen, I'm indebted to everybody that had a part in my salvation. I'm indebted to those that cared enough to get the gospel to me. And then the rewards in verse 14, he said, And by their prayer for you, Think about what he's saying here in this one statement. I'm about done. And by their prayer for you, which long after you, for the exceeding grace of God in you. Paul said as we give and folks get saved on the mission field, and their prayer for you. 
You know, we pray for our missionaries. We pray for, their, we pray for their work. We pray for sinners to get saved. But it ever dawned on you that many of the churches and many of the missionaries that you support, those that have now been reached with the gospel and know that your church is participating and supporting them, but there are many that are praying for you, people you've never met, people you'll probably never see till you get to heaven, but they're taking the time to pray for you. What a reward that is by their prayers for you. And then the reminder, the unspeakable gift. The gift of grace is a, an amazing gift, but the grace that He gives us of giving likewise is all of God. Whatever I do, whatever I can do for the cause of Christ, it's only because of the goodness of God. Somebody said, well, preacher, I'll just have you to know that it's because of me and I do this and I go to work and I accomplish this. Can I tell you something? If God didn't give you another breath, you wouldn't do anything. So we need to recognize, as he said, without me, it can do nothing. But when we get involved in missions, we are involved in the greatest work of all, the work of Christ. There's nothing going on on planet Earth more impressive, more powerful than what God is doing through New Testament Bible-believing churches to get the gospel to the regions beyond. Father, we love you. How we pray tonight, Lord, that we would focus our attention, each and every one of us, what you would have us to do. We know that it works we know that it results in souls saved and churches planted, disciples made, and more churches planted. God, we want to be mindful, Lord, that we must begin to seek your face. May every person in here individually pray, Lord, what would you have me to do? Lord, what could I do to see my faith increase? Lord, may we see an abundant blessing because of your challenge to our heart afresh and anew to give and honor you, Lord, and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name.